that would be in the home health bucket. In the home care bucket would be where we sit. And this is things where we, we are sending caregivers into homes to help with activities of daily living and companionship. Welcome to the Listen for Life podcast with Genevieve Richardson. Genevieve is a speech-language pathologist rehabilitating adults with communication challenges after a stroke or due to a neurological impairment. Living with aphasia is hard. Caregiving is hard. You are not alone. Get equipped with knowledge from experts in the field and professionals you need to know. We'll hear stories and experiences from others who are navigating life with aphasia. So. Put your earphones in and take a walk outside. This isn't just a podcast. This is a community, a resource, and a support system. We're in this together. Do life. This is Kyle Green. He is with Always Best Care. Is it Home Care Services? Always Best Care Senior Services. Terrific. So I asked Kyle to come on today to talk to us about home care and what a company like his can do for our community when you need a little extra help at home. Kyle, would you start off and tell us a little bit about your company and how you got started? Sure. So we are a home care agency. So we we have caregivers. We have a group of about 50 very quality caregivers. And we we actually go into homes, assisted living communities, skilled nursing facilities, and independent living communities, and help people with anything from activities of daily living to companionship to lighthouse keeping. And we got into this, actually, my wife and I own this business and we got into it just, you know, we, we had both, my wife was actually in home health for, for a number of years. And then I have a family history of Alzheimer's. So it just was something that we wanted to do. And I hear there's a story behind how you and your wife came up with this idea to begin with. It is. Yeah. We're kind of crazy people. I guess we, we decided to quit our jobs because why not? And we had both been in the corporate world for about 20 years. And we, so it was the first time we'd ever really had a break and we decided to take, so my mom gifted us the 17 foot casita, which if you know what a casita is, it's like a travel trailer. Uh, so we hit 17 national parks in a, about two months and kind of came up with this idea because we both wanted, really wanted to do this. And by the end of it, we were probably decompressed enough and, and, and dumb enough to think that this would be a really great idea to just do on our own. But no, it, it's been a great idea. And we probably needed to take that two month break to really kind of clear our heads and, and make it, to get it to the point where we were actually going to take action. I love your story. I, I love how you guys went out on a limb. You took a chance, not only for the two months of and 17 state parks, which I'm jealous, but, you know, coming up with this idea. So we've been in business about a year. Right? And, you know, the thing about this industry is, and there are a lot of people who need help. So it, it has gone done quickly. The amount of people we've been able to help in a short amount of time is kind of incredible. So although we haven't been around that long, we feel like we've been doing this a long time. Neat. Can you talk to us, compare and contrast? What's the difference between what Always Best Care does for home care versus a home health agency. 
Yeah, no, that's a great question. That's a question we get asked a lot. I'll have people call me and ask me if we do home health. So home health is technically would be anything medically related. So if you have wound care where you need help with, if you need physical therapy, if you need things of that nature, that can be prescribed by a doctor. That's covered by Medicare typically and other insurance plans. Uh, and that would be in the home health bucket. In the home care bucket would be where we sit. And this is things where we, we are sending caregivers into homes to help with activities of daily living and companionship. So it's, we're typically there a lot longer than home health. I mean, we have clients that we service 24 seven, you know, whereas home health is going to be there maybe for, for, for an hour or two, just enough time to be able to address those medical issues. What struck me that you said a few minutes ago is that your employees can go into skilled nursing facilities and assisted living facilities. They can. Yeah. And, you know, we have those situations more than you would think, you know, in skilled nursing facilities, a lot of times we, we will be there because the patient is such a high fall risk and they may have dementia and that patient may forget that they really can't stand up on their own without falling. So we would, we may have a caregiver there really just to make sure that that patient only gets up with the assistance of the staff at the skilled nursing facility. Assisted living, you know, a lot of it is companionship. We have a client right now who, I mean, he, he, he doesn't really take advantage of the amenities of the assisted living community because it's just more comfortable for him to be in his room. And what our caregivers do is we get him out and say, hey, maybe it's time to go to the pool. And if you give him a little push, he's, he's like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea, but he's not going to go do it by himself. I think that's wonderful. You know, I did home care for a huge part of my career. All, I also went into assisted living facilities, but I always assumed, and that's what you get for assuming, that the helpers there were employees of the facility, not necessarily an outside agency. Yeah, and a lot. Yeah, you're right. A lot of them aren't. A good number of them are employees, but of the assisted living community. But you see a lot of people from third party agencies, just like ours. I think that's wonderful. It's it's just yeah. another option. It's another set of eyes on your loved one, and that must give families a great sense of hope that their person is really being taken care of and is going to do the best they can. Yeah, definitely. What about things like medication management? How does that work? If somebody's in their home and, and your employee is there as a companion, how does that work? Yeah, no, that's a great question. We get asked that all the time. So our license, if you are a home care agency in the state of Texas, at least, we can do medication reminders. So I, we can't physically administer medication but we can say, hey, Mr. Smith, it's time to take your AM medication. So we, we also, we cannot put the medication in their hand or their mouth. They need to be able to physically do that, but we can hand them a cup, uh, which would have their medication in it. So a nurse would actually have to administer medication. So that would be something a home health nurse would, would need to do. Okay. So is that, I would imagine that's something you have to assess for. You probably have a checkoff list when you're, when a family is hiring you to come in or the person themselves is hiring your company to come in. 
Is there a checkoff list you go through? How, how do you determine what the needs are and what the boundaries are? Yeah, absolutely. So typically our checkoff list consists of the activities of daily living and then some of those ancillary activities, you know, things like lighthouse keeping and meal prep and things of that nature. Uh, and the med, since the majority of people that we work with take some form of medication, that's always a question to ask like, okay, well, can they, would they be able to physically take the medication on their own? And usually if it's, you know, if it's something where maybe the dexterity of their fingers doesn't work quite as well and they have a hard time picking it up, you know, we tell the family, Hey, maybe put like have seven Dixie cups and put each individual dose in those Dixie cups. So it's easy for them to, to take on their own. And that, that seems, seems to work most of the time. Yeah. And if a home health agency is in there, if there's therapists in there, you know, we've in the past, we've always been able to help with strategies. So I love the Dixie cup idea, you know, whether right. trying to compensate for physical limitations or cognitive limitations. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and home health can help put the medication into pillboxes or, or, or the family, but, and then we can help on actually reminding the client that it's time to take their, their, their medication. I love that. One of the things I used to do, it was often the first thing that I would do. I'd work with the nurse regarding medications, teaching the person how to fill their own pillbox if they had that language and cognitive capacity, you know, setting them up with a system that the family reinforced and really building their independence. So it's something where home health can really work with your agency to help foster as much independence as possible. Yeah, definitely. We work with home health very often on, on things like that. Home health and then family members who, who, who are actively involved. Wonderful. Talk to me about ADLs. What's the limitation? How much can you help? What, again, what's that boundary? Yeah, so we can help really with just about anything. I don't really, there's not a lot within that that we can't help with. Uh, and it just matters with, it, it depends on the, the extent that they need help that we will. So that's really where we, we are able to figure out, you know, if somebody needs every ADL helped with, if, we, if we're feeding a client and bathing a client and doing everything, that's where we can really assess, okay, I know you only said you want four hours a day, but this is probably going to take six hours a day. So that's really where we come in and we're able to assess just how long we're going to need to be there to make sure that everything we need to do gets done. And because you guys are the eyes on the ground, so to speak, where you can really be that go-between between the person and the family and your your person in the house could tell the family, Mrs. Jones is needing more and more help or we're needing more hours. It may help them start thinking about what's the next plan. Maybe Mrs. Jones is in her house. Maybe she needs that You're right. care. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and we will reassess a client on a regular basis, at least monthly, we reassess. And if we need to, you know, tweak the care plan, we will do that. And then also, like you were saying that there are cases where, hey, you know, maybe it's maybe a memory care facility or community, excuse me, maybe a better option for this person. And sometimes that's, that's just, how, you know, basically how, how it is, what it comes down to. 
And, you know, if it is a memory care facility, it may be a situation where a, a home care aid is in that memory care facility is something that, that makes sense as well. Can we talk about companionship? What does that mean? What does that, what can that entail? Sure. So companionship would be socialization. So I'll give you a, give you an idea. So we have a client who's in a skilled nursing facility. She is cognitively mostly there. She's, she's pretty good, but if you're in a skilled nursing facility, you know, that person is really more of a patient. That's a, a medical type of facility. So she just doesn't get the socialization that she needs. So we sent, we have somebody who goes in there three days a week. And what they're there for is to just make sure that she has somebody to talk to. So we, we just, it's really that simple. It's because she is constantly going in to talk to nurse, you know, nurses are talking to her about her medical condition. Family members come in periodically, but she just doesn't have somebody to, to talk to about just life. Is there a limitation on mobility? Yeah. Are your staff trained to do something like a minimum assistance transfer or making sure the brakes are locked before they get out of the wheelchair? What's the boundary on physical limitations? Yeah. You know, so we, I wouldn't say there's a lot of limitations. I mean, we have a client who's, who's an amputee. So we would help that person get out of bed into their wheelchair and then back into bed as he's mostly bed bound. You know, we have we have clients on, on hospice who really need a full transfers, even at a Hoyer lift. So, so there, you know, I haven't come across an issue at this point. You know, quite frankly, a lot of it has to do with the size of the person. If it's a larger person then a Hoyer lift would definitely be needed, but you know, those, the, the, those lifts are very effective. And even somebody who's, who's bigger is, is really able to, to, to get transferred with a caregiver that knows what they're doing. That's great. I love that there's not a physical limitation. Yeah. What about transportation, getting to and from doctor's appointments? Yeah. So that's a, uh, that's a great question. So what we do is typically our clients, they would prefer to be in their own vehicle. It's, it's easier for them usually to get in and out of it because they, they, they probably bought the vehicle with that in mind. So usually what we do is our caregiver will drive our client's vehicle. So they'll drive it to, whether it's the grocery store, the park, a doctor's office, they can also drive their own vehicle, but we find typically that our clients would just prefer to be in, in their own car. Also, it kind of makes them feel like they are out in their own car as opposed to, you know, being in, in a strange car that they've never been into. Okay. And, you know, if I'm imagining myself hiring your company for one of my parents, I would want to know... How do you know that your employee is a good driver? Yeah. So we run a, a driving check. So that's one of the, you know, obviously we do full background checks and we actually run seven different checks. Nice. And one of them is a, is a driving check to make sure that there aren't any excessive speeding tickets or anything that, that would, that would make it so that person shouldn't be driving your, a, a client around. Okay. Do you have some employees that don't that work for you that have cert, that can take care of certain needs, but then they they choose not to drive people around? Or yeah, we we do. That's that's the interesting part about home care. You know, there's always it's a big puzzle. So there 
there's always that we're going to have caregivers who let's say they don't drive or they're allergic to cats. So they, they wouldn't be in a home with cats. So yes, we, that's one of the questions that we always ask when we interview somebody is, do you have a valid driver's license and do you have a vehicle? And we would obviously, we would make sure that if we had a client that wanted us to drive them, that that person would have a driver's license and valid insurance. Good. Let's talk about some families may not want to go with an agency. They might have this preconceived notion that it costs more money and that they can get, you know, the college kid down the street and pay them privately to come in and, and be with their mom or whatever during the day. Can you talk a little bit about what do families need to be thinking about hiring an agency and what are the benefits versus hiring privately, you know, pros and cons of both. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, first the pros, so a private caregiver, and I mean, I, so for instance, we have a client right now where she has had the same private caregiver for nine years and she's part of the family. Almost. She took this, this gal took care of her husband before he passed. And in that case, we actually, we, so we do weekends and nights and, and actually we're doing it right now because she's sick. So Sometimes, so it's, uh, you know, sometimes you find a great private caregiver. The issue with private caregivers is just this issue. They do want vacations every now and then they do get sick and you know, you, you wouldn't really have a backup plan if you just had a private caregiver. So you, it, it just, th th things happen, things come up. And if you really need care all the time and you need care that during those, those time periods, and that person calls out, you're kind of in a tough spot with private caregiving. So people call us who need care when they need it. It is, frankly, it is more expensive. And it's more expensive because we're, we're a company, we have overhead, we have full-time people, we're licensed, bonded, and insured. We run seven background checks. So we, we are really almost like an employment agency. We bring high quality caregivers in. We hire almost one caregiver a day to make sure that we always have high quality caregivers to send to our clients' homes. The other thing with private caregiving that isn't really thought about a lot is if you are hiring a private caregiver, they are essentially your employee. And if they're your employee, if they trip and fall on the job, you could get sued. I mean, that's the reason why we carry as much insurance as we do, because that does happen. Yeah. And if you've never hired somebody before and you're, you know, maybe somebody never worked in the corporate field or worked in a business where they have to hire somebody, they may not know the questions to ask. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's a whole other ballgame when you're hiring someone. There's a lot of things that you need to ask and really need to holistically understand who that person is. And it sounds like you and your wife do a great job of locating qualified caregivers and making sure they have the skills and the insurance and everything that is needed for safety. Absolutely. For, for safety and for and to make sure that there's going to be somebody there. There is a huge shortage today, frankly, of everything, but especially of caregivers. The caregiving, it's a, it's a difficult field. It's tough work. And a lot of people, unfortunately, and especially since COVID, have chosen to go outside of the field and do other things. So it's increasingly getting more challenging to find quality caregivers, which really makes the need for an agency just that, 
that much greater. Yeah. Yeah, the, it's it's not necessarily worth the effort and the energy because if you hire somebody privately, you have to fire them too. You do. Or you yeah, have to let them yeah. go, or you have to have those hard conversations. And if you're not comfortable with that, if you've never done it before, if you live out of state, you know, if it's an adult child hiring that private caregiver for mom and they're located in a different state, that's, I don't think I could sleep well at night with that. So yeah. Yeah. It's really peace of mind. It's knowing that, okay, well, if we do hire these folks, yes, they're going to probably cost more, but we're going to make sure that they, they always have care. That's right. Yeah. And that goes a long way for peace of mind. So let's talk about hiring a home care agency like yours. What do families need to know? What kind of questions would you be concerned that they might not ask, that they should be asking? I would ask is, does, does your agency have a care plan? Do they come out and they have a individualized care plan that the caregivers follow? And that does an employee of the agency come out with them on the first day to make sure that they understand that care plan? There are agencies out there that are, you know, basically putting somebody in that position because they're there and they may not 100% understand the care plan. And if they don't, they're, they're not going to be comfortable with the care that's needed. So you really need to make sure that you've got a very involved ownership group within that agency and that they are the ones, or at least that they've employed people who are doing that, making sure that that caregiver and that client is a good fit. That brings, that just makes me think, what if that caregiver is not a good fit? If that caregiver is not a good fit, and I've had this, I had this situation a couple of weeks ago where we matched a caregiver with a client and I was there on a Saturday morning to make sure that it all worked and it didn't. It was just clearly not going to be a fit. And after an hour, I sent her home. And then I was the caregiver that day, <laughs> or at least, <laughs> at least until we found, we found somebody a few hours later who could pick up the shift. But you, know, you, you don't want to put somebody in a position that's it's just not going to work. So that, that's really where you need to have somebody there. You can't, this isn't a simple business. You can't just put a caregiver with a client just because their hours and their availability works. So you yeah. talked about the care plan and involved ownership or management that is there to make sure the caregiver and the client fit or work together. What else should they be asking you? It sounds kind of obvious, but when, when can you start? Because that's, that's not necessarily an easy question anymore. If you need 24-7 service and you need it like tomorrow, that's going to be tough for a lot of agencies to be able to do that. So you need, to, you need to make sure that the agency can cover it because some agencies will say, yes, sure, we, nice. we can do it, but are they going to put quality people in? And you know, are those people going to be the right people in there? So you need to make sure that you understand, you understand exactly who, who you're getting, particularly in some of those. And then the other thing on there is you know, if somebody does call out, what, what's your plan? You know, do you have a process and a plan in place to be able to staff those shifts if somebody just decides not, you know, not to go to work? What would happen? And I just think of this from the business perspective, less from a family perspective. 
I call you and I'm out of state from my parent and I do need that 24 seven and you don't immediately have somebody. I would love to hear what you would say to that person calling in that's desperate and behind the scenes, what would it, what it, would it be like for you to figure out how to get that staffed? I regularly talk with other home care agencies. So it's not, I wouldn't say it's not competitive. Obviously it's a competitive industry, but there's four or five home care agencies that I will partner with. So if I don't have everybody to fill all those shifts right away, what I'll do is I'll call a partner who I know is good and I know has a lot of staff and I'll say, hey, I need these spots filled. Do you have people? And we will actually take the case together for at least for some period of time. And it may be only for a few weeks until I'm able to staff the entire case. Or if I can't staff it, I will say, well, you know, this may be a better option because really it's about servicing the clients, about making sure that there's enough care. And the, the big X factor today is making sure you've got qualified caregivers. So if I don't have them, I'll find an agency who, who actually does. So smart to have that partnership, that having the referral partnership and the cooperation with other agencies. Yeah. Cause it's a puzzle. And sometimes you don't have all the puzzle pieces. For sure. I can't imagine what your scheduling board even looks like. It's crazy. <laughs> that's, that's a little more than my brain wants to handle. <laughs> I have my own scheduling issues, but I'm not managing all the puzzle pieces, like you say. Anything else that families should be asking or thinking about when they want to hire an agency? You know, another one is if if the agency conducts supervisory visits, particularly random visits out to clients' homes, because, you know, you never, you, you hope that your caregivers are doing the job they're supposed to do. But, you know, if you're sending somebody out there on a periodic basis, it, you know, caregivers know that someone could pop by just about at any time. And I, I think that's, that's important just to keep people honest. Any other insights families need to know? What have, what about for self-advocacy? If, if I'm the person in my home and I have somebody coming in, would you coach the resident on how to reach out to you if there's a conflict? Because I, sometimes people don't want to speak up, right? They're uncomfortable with it. They don't want to complain. They don't want to you know, say anything bad about their caregiver that's coming in. Maybe they like her, you know, 80% of the time, but there's just some things that drive them crazy or whatever the case might be. How do we get the resident, the person that needs the care, how do we get them to advocate and communicate? Sure. Well, one, I mean, particularly if this person doesn't have, say, a family member who's advocating on their behalf, that's when really when we would get involved. So if we as in our is in my 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 wife and I and our team, just to make sure that, you know, that person who may not have family, because usually a family member isn't going to be shy about telling us if it's not working out. But if it's the actual client and we know that they maybe don't have that family support, we it's really a situation where we're going to be there more often. We're, we're going to go there. We're going to check on them more often and make sure that everything is going smoothly. And if there are any apprehensions, we can kind of pick up on it. 
And if we're, if we're there and if we are talking to them, you know, you can pick up on cues, even if they're not specifically saying they're not happy, you know, you can kind of tell. So that that's really when there's more handholding involved with, with us and our management team. Terrific. Well, Kyle, this has been a tremendous amount of good information. I'm very happy you came on today to fill us in and help educate us. Anything else you want to add? I really appreciate you having me on today. You know, I guess the biggest takeaway for me, you're not going to get a better level of care than you will from one-on-one home care. There's a lot of great assisted living communities out there uh, that have a lot of great people, a lot of great amenities. But when it comes to just strictly care, you know, home care is, in my mind, the best type of care that you're going to find. And we we enjoy doing it. And I've, I've really enjoyed doing this interview with you. We were going to tie it back into the aphasia community. These are folks that have issues with their speaking. Sometimes they're thinking, holding their thoughts together and getting all their words put together. Any other considerations? Yeah, so, no, that's a good point. Actually, we're working with a client right now who has had a stroke, speaks very quietly. And, you know, and that, that again comes back to caregiver selection. You need to make sure that, okay, if it's, if there is somebody who, who has it's, or with any issue that they might have, that that caregiver is qualified to be able to handle those specific issues and care needs. So it, it really goes back to making sure that this is, this is individualized care. So we need to make sure that we match the correct caregiver with this, this particular client. Kyle, thank you so much for coming on today. Great insight. And I wish you a great weekend. Thank you. Have a great weekend. I hope you learned some good information from Kyle from Always Best Care. If you have questions about caregiving, he's a wonderful individual, really trying to make a difference in the Austin area and caring for people. Thanks for tuning in to the Listen for Life podcast. We hope you feel empowered and supported. Head over to listenforlifepodcast.com to see the show notes with links and information from today's episode. Do you have a topic, a resource to share, or a guest recommendation? Inquiring minds want to know. Let us know in the comments section. Wishing you a fabulous week.